1: idea of submitting. In our culture, that's something that we don't like to do. We want to be our own person and we want to call the shots. And God says, I can't put you in any position of any worth until you allow yourselves to be in a place of accountability. And that is true for anyone who is in authority. Any authority that God gives you, he first has to, has to reveal to you that you yourself are under an authority.
0: everyone and welcome to this edition of Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob begins a three-part series on our accountability to the Lord and to others. As Christians, we are to be aware of how we live before the world because we are always under scrutiny of the world and everyone around us. Peter reminds us that we are to conduct ourselves honorably in all that we do for others and most importantly to be accountable to our God with consistency and without compromise. Jesus submitted his will to the Father in all things as a good example for us to follow and now let 's join Pastor Rob in first Peter chapter two verse
1: twelve we 're going to be looking at uh, second uh, i 'm sorry first Peter chapter two and we've been spending some time in verses 11 and 12 and there's a lot there and we're going to be looking at basically verse 12 today and verses 11 and 12 let me just read them to you because they really begin a section in the scripture that really speaks of our uh, our attitude towards submission um, being in accountability to someone else. And if you open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, you'll see in 11 and 12, if you have a New King James Version, it might, the heading might be, and this is a man-made heading, but it works, it says, Living Before the World. And it says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles." That when they speak evil of you against uh, against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, notice, glorify God in the day, on the day of visitation. And then that's about all we're going to cover this morning. But you'll notice that in the subsequent sections, it talks about submission to government and submission to masters and wives being submitted to their husbands and. Uh, uh, A word to husbands, and so it's all about the idea of submitting. And in our culture, that's something that we don't like to do. We want to be our own person, and we want to call the shots. And God says, "I can't put you in any position of any worth until you allow yourselves to be in a place of accountability." And that is true for anyone who is an authority. Any authority that God gives you, He first has to has to reveal to you that you yourself are under an authority. And that's what that whole section is about: Uh, our, our willingness to. Humble ourselves and be submitted under somebody, you know. And there's great um, joy and great um, peace when you submit yourself to someone else willingly, not out of coercion, but you willingly do it. And I've I've been the beneficiary of that because I that's what I did for 24 years under Pastor Jeff. I just submitted myself to him. I looked to him. And, um, and, and there's just something wonderful, and God knows you know, what he's doing, and he, he wants us to, to live that way with each other, you know, to submit to one another, to love one another, not to lord over one another, not to uh, have some kind of uh, attitude toward one another, but to submit and to be accountable. There is such great peace and there's such great safety when we have that attitude and when we put it into practice because God honors that. He honors that. And so this morning, in verse 11, it says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lusts which war against your soul. And the thing is, is we are in a warfare. We talked about that last week, the, the warfare in this world. And there, there is uh, a warfare. And if you're not aware that you're in a warfare you got to ask yourself what am i doing <laughs> because if you are walking with Christ you are going to be resisted you are going to feel the pressure all around you uh, of uh, of oppression you know and, and, and those thing kind of things are spiritual in nature and you, we may not have anybody lay their physical hands on us at this time in our in our history in our country but there may come a time where they do that and in some places that happens even in our own country and so but are, do you know that you're in a battle? The Bible says that the devil, you know, he is a, he's an adversary. He walks like about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour you. He can't have you if you're a child of God because God has his handprint on you. He has his wounds that he bore on the cross of Calvary on you, and there's nothing, no one that can take you away from him. The devil can make your life miserable, and he can oppress you and make you Struggle, but he cannot take away what God has given to you and what He has purchased on the cross for you, so hold on to that, and never forget that you know because God you know the the weapons of our warfare, as we saw last week in ephesians six they 're not physical they 're not carnal they 're not guns and ammo and things of that nature. Sometimes I wish it were because then we could just have an all out war and we could you know you could see your enemy you, you can you can strategize, but we how can you strategize? Beings that you can't see, that are much more powerful than any one of us left by ourselves. Apart from Christ, we are no match. And there's a strategy against you. And even though the devil can't have your soul, he can make you. He can trip you up and cause your witness to be sour and cause your life to be miserable so that you really can't enjoy the salvation that God has given you. But that's not his heart's desire. God's heart's desire is is to give you a life that you might be fruitful, that you might be abundant in it. And so let him hang on to the Lord. Do you, do you recognize we living in very difficult days? Amen? <laughs> it is. It's really hard out there. And uh, we need Jesus more than ever. Keep your eyes and your nose in the book. Keep your heart in prayer. And keep focused on Jesus Christ. Amen? But our warfare, it is real. It is very real. And he goes on in verse 12 and he says, He goes, I beg you, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that they may, by your good works which they observe glorify God on the day of visitation. And here, Peter is speaking to Jews that have given their hearts to Christ. The first century church was firstly Jews. And so he's speaking to them because remember, this letter is written to a group of Jewish believers that are on the run. They've been dispersed throughout the Roman Empire, right? And so there they are. They're out and they're being chased. They're being hunted. they're, they're, They're being hated. Nobody understands them. But he's speaking to them. He says, have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. And this morning we're going to look at a couple of people in the Old Testament, a couple of men. The first one is Joseph and then Daniel. Joseph, if you remember, Joseph and Daniel have a lot in common. And one of the things they had in common is they were both Jews. And they were both in captivity in another country, a foreign tongue, under Gentile kings, under Gentile kings. And so there they were. And, and God wants them like us. And, and as Peter was speaking to these Jewish believers, have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. And we're going to see just in this couple of men, we're going to do a survey just really quickly of their lives and why and how is it that their lives, what, what kind of conduct, what, what was their life like? What were the things going on that made their conduct Honorable among the Gentiles. You remember in uh, Genesis chapter 37 that Joseph, who was the second youngest of Jacob's 12 sons, he was favored by his father Jacob. And remember that Jacob gave to Joseph a coat of many colors because he favored him, because he was the son of his old age. He was the second youngest. And and, and Jacob loved him, and he favored him, and his other 11 brothers hated him for it, hated him for it. And there came a time where Joseph began, uh, God had given him dreams. God had given him dreams. And his brothers, and the dreams were the, the fact that Joseph was going to rule over them. And him being the second youngest, you can imagine Reuben being the elder, the, the first son from Leah, He's looking at his younger brother way down the line, going, what are you what, what's this noise that's coming out of your mouth?" <laughs> right? What's this noise?" And then Jacob or Joseph has another dream, and the Lord confirms it again, and what God was giving to Joseph was a history of what's going to happen to the Jewish nation and how God was going to bring them out of Egypt, out of this bondage for 430 years and bring them into their own land again, how they were going to survive it. And God gave to Joseph that word of knowledge ahead of time in in a dream, in in two separate dreams. And he told his brothers these things. Not very smart. Um, Smart, but not so smart, because he knew that they hated him. And then now to to share a dream where you're going to bow to me. Oh, and mom and dad, too. Oh, really? (laughs) We're going to bow to you. Hmm. Don't think so. So you remember what happened, and this is history, folks. Not a story, not a cute children's story. This is history. So you remember what happened. They they looked at Joseph, and they were out tending the sheep, and they saw some Ishmaelite traders coming along, and they made a, a pact together, and they said, let's sell our brother. Let, actually, let's just kill him. And so they were going to throw him in a pit, and, and uh, uh, Reuben actually intervened and Uh, couldn't stand the thought of killing his brother. So they they finally decided, well, let's just sell him to these Ishmaelites. And the Ishmaelites were going to take him down to Egypt. They were going to trade. And ultimately, that's what they did. They gave him to the Ishmaelites, this caravan, and they brought him down to Egypt, and they sold him as a slave to Potiphar, one of the, the, the captain of the guard of Pharaoh. They sold him to Potiphar as a slave. And it says in Genesis 39, verse 2, it says, now notice, Uh, What I'm trying to show you here is the favor that God had. You'd think a young man who was in that position would be angry and just be spiteful and vengeful and completely rebellious. But notice what happens in Genesis 39. After this has happened, it says the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian Potiphar. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And so Joseph found favor, notice, in his sight and served him willingly. He served him. He served Potiphar. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And then he made him, notice, overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. And you know, in verses 7 through 20 of that same chapter, we see Joseph's integrity too. You know, what could have been an angry young man, he just decided, you know what, God has me here, I'm not really sure what's going on, but I'm going to make the best of it, and I'm going to submit, right? And so he does. Notice in verses 7 through 12 of that same chapter, his conduct, again, among the Gentiles. Remember that Joseph was thrown in jail because Potiphar's wife, day after day, was throwing herself at him. This young man, Potiphar's wife, throwing herself on him every single day, saying, lie with me, lie with me, lie with me. And Joseph, knowing what was going on, he says, you know what? There's nothing that my master has kept from me but you, and I will not do this wicked thing. And so she would not have any of it, and it hurt her pride, I'm sure. And so she concocts this thing and makes it look like Joseph had raped her. And so finally, when Potiphar hears about this, as you know, Potiphar's furious, he throws him into jail. He throws him into jail. He evidently didn't know his wife too well. Because Joseph was doing really well. And they threw him in jail. But notice what happened. Joseph gained favor in the sight of the jailer and in Genesis 39, verse 21, it says this. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. He became the the guard. You notice that? He put him in power. Committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. And the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Notice that. His conduct, honorable among the Gentiles. Here he is in a strange land among Gentiles. God's favor is upon him. And he's submitting to God. He's submitting in this process. How would you feel being put into prison wrongfully? Most of us would be calling our lawyers and, you know, and and creating a, you know, having people picket outside the courthouse and all kinds of things. And you don't see that in Joseph. He's just like, you know what? Lord, I'm in your hand. I don't know what else to do. So I'm just going to submit to this authority that you placed in my life. And, boy, that takes something. That takes something of the inner man that can only come from God. And that's the kind of thing that God wants to work in you and I. In Proverbs 16, verse 7, it says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And so here is Joseph in this strange land, in this strange place, undesirable, but yet making the best of it. And you recall, the butler and the baker were found uh, in conspiracy to bring hurt against Pharaoh, and they were thrown into the prison. But notice what it says in Genesis chapter 40, verse 4. It says, And then the captain of guard charged Joseph with them, with the butler and the baker. And notice, he served them. Notice the servant heart of Joseph. Now there's a butler and the baker. These officials of Pharaoh in the prison now with him too. And Joseph served them. What, a, what an amazing heart. Again, conduct honorable among the Gentiles. And you recall that Pharaoh had a dream. He brought in all the soothsayers, all of his sorcerers and he brought them all in and they could not they could not give him the interpretation of the dream. And Joseph in his humility he comes in and says, "Pharaoh, I will be able to interpret this dream." But notice when we look at Genesis chapter 41 Joseph deflects the praise from himself because, remember, he had interpreted two dreams by those butler, the butler and the baker. One of them was restored to their job, and the, and the baker was hung as a result of the dreams that Joseph had interpreted. And now Pharaoh has a dream. Nobody can do anything, so they call in. Finally, the, the, the butler goes, oh, I remember there was this Hebrew in the jail. He can interpret this dream. So what does he do? He comes in, and in verse 41, verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. It is not in me. In other words, don't look at me as if I'm some great thing. I will give, uh, or it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So look at the humility. And again, the conduct honorable among the Gentiles. And then in verse 25 through 36 of that chapter, Joseph gives the interpretation of the dream to Pharaoh and the remedy, remember, to store up. There's going to be seven years of famine. You need to store up seven years, a fifth of the produce every single year, a fifth of produce every, every single year so that when those seven years come about, you'll be able to sustain and notice what happens in Genesis 41, verses 39. It says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Notice the, the honor that Pharaoh, this Gentile king, bestows upon a, a Jewish man who was in prison. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my whole house, and all my people will, shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took off his signet ring, off his hand, and he put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. And again, Joseph, his conduct, honorable among the Gentiles. And see, that's what God wants to do in us. Now, we live, I'm a Gentile. I don't have any Jewish in me at all. I haven't done the Ancestry.com thing, but I'm pretty sure that all you're going to find is German and some Irish and some other mutt. I don't know. So you're gonna, whatever I am, I don't really know, but um, I know I'm German, uh, and there might be some Irish, like I said, but there's no Jew in me. I wish there were, because I love the Jewish people. They're no different than us. They can be knuckleheads. They can be rebellious, but they're God's people. And you're God's people. The church, we are God's people. Let's look also at the the life of Daniel, too. In the book of Daniel, we're just going to do a quick survey of the first four chapters, and this won't take long. But in chapter 1, you recall, again, we're going to show just just the, the wonderful character of these men, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just... These Hebrew youths going into a strange land, to a foreign land to a Gentile king, will see that their conduct is honorable among the Gentiles. In chapter one, Daniel, remember, they were taken captive, and the king wanted to school them in all the fine things, to eat the, the king's meat and to dress the certain way and go through all the schooling. And you recall that Daniel and his three fellows said, "No what? We're going to do away with all that. Just give us vegetables." Give us vegetables to eat, and we will be just fine. And and certainly after a a time of testing, it came to be that they looked fatter in flesh than all the other guys who were eating filet mignon and and, uh, baked potatoes and cheesecake from Cheesecake Factory. They were fatter in flesh when they were eating vegetables, because they did not want to dishonor their God. They want to defile themselves with the king's meat. And they were examined by Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember, in chapter 1, and found them to be noticed ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all of his realm, conduct honorable among the Gentiles. In chapter 2, Daniel, remember, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of this being, this, this statue made of gold and silver and bronze and iron and iron mixed with clay. And he demanded that his astrologers and his men to tell him not only the dream but its interpretation, and nobody could do it. And he sent out a decree to kill all the wise men, of, or wise men of, of Babylon, including Daniel and his three fellows, because they were considered among those wise men. In verse 14, it says that the decision is made, uh, known to Daniel, that this is what's going to happen. And he asked the permission from the king for a little time to discern the dream and its interpretation. And he gets it by the grace of God. And then in verse 24, Daniel pleads with Ariok, who was the captain of the guard, not to destroy the wise men in all the realm. Notice that. This was Daniel's grand moment. If he wanted to, he was already in a, um, uh, he was going to be in a place of, of, of power and prestige. And if this was a, a way to catapult him to the throne or catapult him into great power, this was it. If I can get rid of all those guys, I'll be the only guy. Because I'll interpret this dream and I'll be saved. And all those guys will get hung. This was his moment, but notice, Daniel, he didn't do it. He pleaded for not only his own life, but for the life of all these men who were false preachers, false doctrine. They were preaching false things. And in verse 31, Daniel interprets a dream. And Daniel and his fellows were rewarded, and they were promoted greatly. They were promoted in a big way. Notice their conduct, honorable. Honorable. Among the Gentiles. So what is your witness in your workplace? You know, when we look at Joseph and we look at Daniel, we're not done with Daniel. Here, we're going to get back to him, but what is your witness in the workplace? How is your conduct among the Gentiles, among those unbelievers around you? It's important to look, isn't it? Because, like we said before, we are to walk circumspectly. Because we know that wherever we walk, if we are called a Christian, people are looking to us. are looking up to us. And they ought to look up to us. We're the only ones who have the truth in our heart. We're the only ones who have the real truth. Is there anything else in this world? Is there any other manual? Is there any other book that claims to be what this is? We have the answers. And we may not be able to give a specific answer for every single thing. But God has shown us the end from the beginning. He's shown it to us. And there's so much in here concerning life and godliness and the way to live and the way not to
0: live. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time when Pastor Rob continues our study in 1 Peter. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625.